Good evening. There are 147 days left until the 2022 midterm elections. Welcome back to the Mary Trump Show Strategy Sessions, where every week my panel and I try to answer this question. How do we ensure that the Democrats win races at every level of government and hold on to or preferably expand our razor-thin margins in the House and the Senate. Joining me this week, I'm so pleased to uh, have Margay, who's a member of the New York Times editorial board and a political analyst with a focus on my favorite place on the planet, New York State and local affairs. She was a city hall reporter for, um, at, sorry, at the New York Times, and she's worked for the Daily News. That's the New York Daily News. Um, I'm very provincial, sorry. And the Atlantic, among many others. Uh, Stephanie Koff, who took to Twitter as Lincoln's Bible to raise the alarm on Donald's history with the mob. She also writes and produces The World Beneath, an audio series about the untold history and origins of organized crime and intelligence operations. And she also hosts The Five Eight with no novelist and essayist and all-around good guy, Greg Oliar. And finally, Ruth Ben-Ghiat, a historian and commentator on fascism, authoritarian leaders, and propaganda. She's a professor of history and Italian studies at New York University. University, the proprietor of the newsletter, Lucid, and the author most recently of the excellent A Strongman from Mussolini to the Present. Thank all of you so much for being here. It's been quite a week, and it's only Tuesday. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's sort of inescapable. I think we have to start talking about the hearings. Um, you know, I... I confess I don't like some of the ways in which uh, the January 6th select committee's work has been, and the hearings, have been presented in political terms. You know, how is it going to play out in the midterms? I, I don't think that's fair. Um, they are so much more important than pure politics. This is literally about um, what this country is. Uh, and who is still willing to be open-minded about listening to evidence and, and facts as they're presented, uh, et cetera. However, we can't deny, you know, I don't think this is the way to lead in, in discussing the hearings, but we can't deny that there is a potential uh, to have them influence. And, you know, Ruth, I want to start with you. And in some ways, of course, they should, because we're not just talking about you know, are the Dems going to look better coming out of this than the Republicans? We're talking about are people going to understand that what happened and what is continuing to happen is like a slow rolling coup and that the person who was in the Oval Office tried to overthrow and is continuing to try to overthrow the United States government? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, I, I wrote a piece for my, uh, published a piece in my Lucid newsletter today about um, how the history of coups, because a third of my book is about coups, and who knew it was going to be relevant to the United States, except the United States I has, think you caused, did. <laughs> has caused many coups elsewhere. Yeah. But um, but uh, I think that, you know, it's 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 so important to to see these. Well, first of all, the fact we can have these hearings at all, 
Um, we should never take that for granted uh, because um, in many places, uh, all those investigators and anybody uh, who collaborated with them would be locked up or worse. Um, I can also say that I was uh, interviewed several times by the committee. Um, and oh, I, I, fascinating. The same, in fact, some of the same people who I saw uh, were there with uh, William Barr interviewed me. Um, hmm. And so I was very impressed by the integrity, by the diligence, by the, the kind of wide net they're casting and their sophisticated understanding of the issues of democracy erosion and what it means. In fact, Chairman Thompson called it a coup attempt. I was very pleased to see this. So I think that um, the things that are, are, are coming out uh, with the kind of will show that, you know, Trump, two things off the top of my head, Tr Trump was definitely acting very much like the autocrats I study who simply uh, can't leave office. Um, and I think to, to the, the second hearing in particular, uh, where uh, the issue of follow the money, the big lie as the big ripoff, that's very important because Trump's aims were, they were not like any other president of any party. They were autocratic aims and meaning. He wanted to make money right. uh, off of the presidency to the very end. Right. So it was very striking. The last um, fundraising email came just 30 minutes before the Capitol assault. So these are things that if they're, if they're uh, disseminated properly uh, in with the right framing, the public can um, perhaps uh, appreciate. Yeah, and I, I had read that you were going, that you were either going to or had spoken to, um, I guess, lawyers for the um, congressional, the Congress people running uh, the committee, and I was really heartened by that for a bunch of reasons, but it's specifically because context is so incredibly important, especially for things that people either don't really understand historically or don't understand um, as it relates to America. And you're right, like, coup, America, what, how is that even possible? And that's one of the reasons why I think everybody should read your book, because it, it, it does help explain how things have unfolded over the last few decades and how, how Donald was in some ways almost inevitable or somebody like him, I should say, mm -hmm. and how we're, we're still, uh, Mara, not out of the woods yet. So, again, I want to stick with the hearing partially because I, I want to hear what everybody thinks about how it's going and how we think it might continue to unfold. Because, again, it, it is it, it's as important as anything, I think, right now in helping people understand what's at stake in November. Yeah, you know, I think <clears throat> the committee is doing a lot of things at once and they're doing it very expertly. You know, yep. it's notable, of course, that they, they've hired uh, talent. Um, in the sense of just, you know, former TV producers and it's, yeah. it's paying off and because they're really telling a compelling story, uh, there's a, there's a clear narrative that's emerging, but one thing they're doing is of course they're holding Donald Trump accountable and others around him. The other thing they're doing is they're asking Americans to recommit to democracy and to the principles of democracy. But there's something I've been chewing on lately, which is just, you know, my increasing frustration over the past several years um, that has really 
reached a fever pitch um, throughout the pandemic and then after January 6th, uh, just a, a frustration with Americans who really, I think, are of goodwill and are good citizens and, um, you know, they may be of both parties, but they just don't see this as the five alarm fire that it is. And I think the value in having uh, not just this story played out for the American people, and lots of people are watching, I think it was 19 million for the first hearing, but also to have the actual visual of Benny Thompson side by side with Liz Cheney, uh, you know, both because you have this, these two historic individuals, Mm -hmm. one a white woman, one a black man, a former school teacher from Mississippi, you know, uh, a big Republican family name with Liz Cheney, somebody who can't be recast as a socialist. uh, They can try. Although they certainly (laughs) have tried. I think having those two adults in the room, so to speak, even though I don't love that phrase, um, having them say this was a coup, to your point, Ruth, um, and say, or an attempted coup, thank God, and say, no, no, we should be alarmed, right? Like yep. that, that is extremely valuable because I think too many Americans are just exhausted and kind of hoping we're kind of okay, right? And we're not okay. We're not okay. Yeah. And and I actually I also hate the the phrase adults in the room because it's it's so often used by people who think they were the adults in the room who really weren't and just pretended they were to make themselves feel better about being yeah. so fucking horrible. Uh, or incompetent, or what you know, whatever you want to say. But I think it is true in this case. Uh, it's to see people, two people on very different sides of the political divide, willing to set aside uh, clear ideological differences to, to your point, help the American people understand what is what this is really about and how important it is. I just want to correct myself, Mara. You covered a city hall for the Wall Street Journal, not the New York Times, because you're at the New York Times doing something else now. Anyway, <laughs> wanna set that record straight. Um so Stephanie, yeah. um the the other reason I think what uh Mara just said is is so important is because democratic leadership or at least some of democratic leadership doesn't quite seem to get the urgency either. And uh, you were, on, we've been uh, live streaming the hearings. You were on yesterday, although it does seem like 700 years ago. It's been <laughs> quite quite a stretch. But um, for the very first one, I was so nervous going into it because it, it was at that moment that I realized how much really is at stake here and, and how... Uh, production values, unfortunately, this is the day and age we live in, really do matter. So what what is your set? Did anything shift for you from hearing one to sheer, hearing two uh, and change your idea of maybe their trajectory? I don't know if it, if it shifted, but I felt that they got, they zeroed in a little better. Um, and I can tell that this is going to be like, you know, sort of an icebreaker, a, a glacial breaker ship in the Arctic putting that crack into the ice shelf that we need to have so that we can actually move uh, um, on this thought of this is a, this is a coup. It's an ongoing coup. It can be one thing to tie Donald to it, which is what is happening, which is wonderful that he's, they, they have been constantly coming back to him that he directed this. This is a plan. This was all about this president and what his will 
to seize power, overturn the will of the people uh, by violence, if necessary, if all of these other machinations weren't working. But they all needed to be in play from what they were doing down to the states, from what they were trying to craft legally to the Supreme Court. So all and then the propaganda and the radicalization of that horde so that they would show up on the day and actually commit an act of violence to push him into a position where he could hang on to power. So that story, that narrative, I think is going to be very, very clear. If you're going to look at, it's not their job to do politics, but if we're looking at the Dems and say, please grab these terms, please grab this frame, please use this narrative, use people like Ruth, use people like me who can tell you what this means that we have an authoritarian seeking power and tie it to the party because if he's not he's probably not gonna be on the ticket who knows right with your uncle whatever he's just a you know he's what he is but you know we have Ron DeSantis we have some of these other upcoming people who are following in that model and are way more adept at it in the political sense and the party itself is the machine. The party is the authoritarian machine now. We are up against a fascist party. And that sounds so incredible, right? It sounds so polarizing. It sounds so politicized. But there's no way you can talk to people who are who are experts in the rise of authoritarian and fascist regimes and their and their framework and not come away with that as being the truth. Yeah. And so then it's going to get tricky, right? Because, you know, the words Nazis get thrown out and all these other semantics get used and people have a visceral reaction to that when it comes to voters. Um, and we're going to need every independent and we're going to need some Republicans um, and every single Democrat to show up and yep. make sure that we can hold on to democracy. So that's the urgency, right? Mm-hmm. That's the urgency. The committee, I hope, is bringing some urgency to the foreground. We're not going to get the urgency out of the Department of Justice. So it's up to us to, to grab that, I think, and keep yeah. get the messaging clear, use clear words. Right. I'm, it, not, I'm not willing to give up on cohesive. Garland. Quite, oh, I'm not giving right. up. But We just but, can't get a, a, speed, a sped up timeline. They're going to take the time they're taking. He's on a That's different, t- he has a totally different, uh, yeah. clock. Uh, this is true because he has yeah. until 2024 or January, 2025 conceivably, but yeah. you know, you, you, you made some really good points there that uh, Ruth, I'd like you to, to build on. Um, this is partially about um, dealing with the fact that the Republican party has always been so much better at co-opting language than Democrats do, right? They call us fascists and communists and Marxists and socialists and, Marxist, Leninist, all the time, and they don't know what any of that means. We can legitimately call them fascists, but then it just sounds like we're just calling each other names. The difference, of course, is we can explain why they really are fascists, and they can't define any of their terms. So I think, if nothing else, this committee is doing a really, I, I don't know if they're going to say fascist, but they're saying coup. So they, they're they yeah. going to use terms in a way that are very uh, clear to the American people, and um, which is partially necessary because a lot of the media take too long to catch up to where we are. You know, it took three years to call Donald's lies lies. And 
I don't know how long it took for them to call him a racist, even though he was clearly a racist since, you know, 1948. Um, but although I'm guessing mainstream media didn't know that he was a racist as a toddler, but still we are. So th this, this committee is standing in uh, to do uh, a job that needs to be done. But the, the other thing I want to ask you about, because I do think that this is something that we need to, we need to understand voters need to understand that this is this isn't about Donald anymore. Uh, I hate using this phrase, but Trumpism is going to survive him. And if we're not careful, we're going to get somebody like a DeSantis who I think in some ways is really worse because he's smarter and he's more ideologically driven. Um. Yes. So uh, I'm going to be writing an op-ed. I um, don't know for who, but I'm going to be writing one that talks about these systemic problems uh, because it's everything that, well, Trump started it off by really um, imposing a kind of authoritarian political culture and habits on the party. Uh, and, and it was already going there, but the fact that you can't have any dissent within the party. Yeah. That, um, for example, the unified messaging, which was already coming from the right from the days of Rush Limbaugh, but Trump imposed this, again, no dissent and uh, superb propaganda skills. And so I've been watching how they're countering the hearings. And so last week I, I predict, because it's not hard to predict, like that it was going to be a show trial, a communist inquisition. So I've been watching how, because propaganda requires repetition in slightly different variations in different media. And so that's like, you have GOP lawmakers saying it, you have Nick Short saying it, and they really know how to do that. So that's one. So, but we're talking now about the after effects and it's really scary. And I have actually started using the word fascist to describe this party. One of the things <clears throat> that's most disturbing is if you are, if you're remaking a party to um, serve a kind of form of autocracy, you have to renew, it used to be called renewing the cadres, the, the, the personnel of the party. And you have to get lawless people in the party, even more lawless than before. Mm -hmm. So, and I, it's so, it's terrible. I have a whole thing about this in my book with Nazis and fascists and in Pinochet's Chile and the coup. And now it's happening. So that's why uh, all of these uh, participants in January 6th and other kinds of lawless people are being encouraged to run for office. Yeah. So that's one. And then the other is that uh, when somebody like Trump comes in, they, they're like an earthquake in the system. And they also, they give, they give permission to people to be lawless and to act in a certain way, including as a man, as a male leader. And so the system has spawned these imitators. And DeSantis, I mean, I had my eye immediately on him. I've already written about three op-eds on him. And I'm, I'm, I watch him like a hawk. Not only did he, like, literally absorb the hand gestures of Trump, right? But he, he's going beyond him. And he's very, very dangerous. But so this is, these are ways in which uh, th the lessons of Trump have been absorbed. The party's become further radicalized. And it's really has now a fascist kind of ideology and behavior. And so you are right that uh, Trump, who is not young, can exit and we could still end up with um, a kind of electoral autocracy. And his 
place in history will have been to uh, prepare this uh, in a way. And he, he failed, he got voted out, but he had a permanent change and like revolution to this party. He like electrified them. And that's what January 6th then further did. So I'm trying to st stand back because that's what I can do as a historian and look at these big developments and they're all very dismaying, I have to say. <laughs> they're all very scary they um, in, in terms of what that party has become. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, this is the 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 seeds were sown decades ago, and and he stepped in at the right time, and um, but I, he did do one thing that's unique to him. He, I think, um, showed the rest of the part or gave the rest of the party a roadmap that maybe hadn't occurred to them: lie about everything, never concede an inch, never compromise. Uh, don't, you know who cares about the institutions, who cares about tradition, who cares about institutional memory, you know, just, we, we should get whatever we want whenever we want it. Um, I want to get back, uh, Mara, I want to, I want to get back to something Ruth said about the, the ways in which Donald unified the right and, um, you know, in terms of messaging, but in terms of like staying, not deviating. And, since you know you you are expert um, on local politics in New York and you know fellow subway writer, you understand how um, you know midterms are yes it, they affect everybody but they're all local elections, and I think one of the challenge one of the easy things for Republicans besides the fact that the system is totally rigged in their favor and they have no problem lying cheating and stealing, is the fact that. They have a very small tent. It's easier for them to unify. They don't have to have such a diverse, wide-ranging message. You know, they're, they're, if not monolithic, homogeneous, right? And that is not the case for the Democrats. So that's a huge challenge going forward because, yes, messengers are local, but there does have to be some kind of overarching message for the party and its voters as a whole, right? A hundred percent. That's... You hit the nail on the head. But I still think, though, that there are so many uh, important things that unite Democratic voters at this point. Um, and, and I actually I would just extend that at this point to voters who believe in democracy. I mean, I think we're all sitting here. If we were sitting in Venezuela, I mean, I am I'm a progressive individual. Right. I'm, I'm a liberal person. Um, but if I were sitting in Venezuela, I would hope that I would have the courage and fortitude to vote with a pro-democracy conservative um, if that's what it came to. And that's yeah. what Americans, uh, that's what's being asked of us right now is to really truly put democracy and country over party. Um, and I, I just think that the, the Democratic Party, to your point, Mary, suffers from um, its successes in some way. It does have a really large tent. Democracy is messy. Um, but there's also an element, though, I think, in terms of language, and you hit on this a few minutes ago, that's just frustrating, um, right? I mean, I'm not in the business of helping Democrats win elections. Um, and in New York, frankly, I spend a lot of time holding Democratic politicians accountable. It's a, it's a Democratic mm -hmm. party machine. Of well, sort. New York really needs, New York 
Democrats we, really do need to be we need that, right? that for sure. But, Absolutely. But, you know, let's be honest. Um, Republicans are extremely good at talking about white supremacy. They are extremely good at motivating their voters. They are extremely good at things that are, you know, at the moment dark and, and I think appealing to people's uh, certainly not their better angels, the opposite, right? But the Democrats have been shying from those conversations. So they're using the language of the Republicans instead of using their own language. And I think it's a real problem. So, you know, the Republicans will say, uh, well, critical race theory is wrong. And instead of the Democrats coming out and saying, it is an American privilege to sit in a classroom and learn about uh, people who are different than you. Um, this is a strength. They're saying, oh, we're not teaching critical race theory in school. I mean, it's they don't know how to talk about race. Yeah. They don't know yeah. how to talk about racism or white supremacy. And I think, you know, that's you really see it from Democratic leadership. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. it's a huge problem for, well, for many, many reasons. But one, because it allows the, the Republicans, as you say, control the narrative, which is uh, a false narrative and a dangerous narrative. I'm still, my mind is still blown that Glenn Youngkin got through that entire campaign without being called a racist on a daily basis. It was unbelievable. And we still, Stephanie, now that that they've turned, led by people like DeSantis, have turned to calling anybody who supports LGBTQ plus kids pedophiles and groomers, mm-hmm. I keep hearing Democrats in, in uh, elected Democrats saying, you know, we're just, we're, we don't need to address that. Uh, Americans are only interested in, in the kitchen table issues. Right. And I think that's another service. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. And I think that's it's never worked. Yeah. Service that the, these hearings are providing because they're helping Americans understand, you know what it, as marriage just said, it's about, democracy. And we can only grapple with the rest of that stuff if democracy survives. And democracy can't survive if white Americans, if this, you know, not insignificant cadre of white Americans are perfectly willing to erase the realities of American history because their racism, racism and white supremacy is more important to them than American democracy. Yeah. So, okay. A lot. <laughs> I know. There, it's, it's a lot. So it's, it's just like, good. This is a good conversation, guys. Um, well, look so, who my panel is. I know. Amazing. All right. So, yeah, I think there needs to be uh, an overall conversation of how has the the way of always doing things the same way always, always been working out? And it's not working out. So please stop <laughs> doing it because you, you're not, you need to, you know, I think there's a, a real need to just embrace uh, the counter punches and understand where those counter punches will land. So when it's something like um, a critical race theory and, or grooming, look, you know, it, it, these, these to come back of like with that, with that embrace of like, yeah, I want to learn about history of, I, I think black Americans are as American as any Americans. And I personally want to learn about what they have been going through in this country for the last two, 300 years and how it has evolved. I don't want my child not learning that. I'm not going to erase a huge portion of our population. Why would you want to erase Black America? What is wrong with you? 
So, and, and well, we Latin know American why. Experience. I know, but you put it on them like that. Mars nodding your head. Yeah. Thank God. You put it on them like that, and they're going to have to defend being racist, and they're not going to know how to do that. They're not. Gonna, they're going to go. Oh, wait a minute. Ah, uh, no, that's not what we're trying to do. And it's like okay. Well, then what are you trying to do? So it always is about that question of holding people to account for the horseshit coming out of their face because they're just grabbing onto a thing, right? Grooming is the same way. It's like, how dare you weaponize? This is a violent act on children and you're using it as a political thing to flow around? What are you talking about? How dare you just fling pedophilia around as if there aren't victims of that and what their actual journey is? Go talk to them and see what they have to say about this. You can hold people to the to a level of maturity uh, of what action and responsibility and accountability for the words that they're using. It just requires knowing what the follow-up question is going to be, knowing what the spotlight needs to be. Where do you shine the light on their crazy and zeroing I, in on it? It's I want to push back for a second. I think because I don't think they care, uh, honestly, um, because if they cared, okay. Well, just in this specific, in this context, right. Um, and I don't get it wrong. Of course, they need to be held accountable. The problem is, they don't care if they are or not. Like, there's the only way to hold them accountable. I think is to vote them out. <laughs> and oh, yes. I, I don't think it's about a conversation necessarily. Like, I this is this is my bias. If you don't, if you voted for Donald twice, I don't want ever want to talk to you again. I, you have okay. enough information. I don't need any more information about you. Maybe that's narrow minded of me. I don't know. But in this particular context, like, okay, they say critical race theory is dangerous. It's bad for the children. Bad for which children? First of all, it's bad for all children. But the only children whose quote unquote feelings they're claiming to protect are white children. It's like okay, so Especially we can the let, white parents that they're trying to protect. It's not even the kids. But I'm it's just saying, like this the would be there. Don't want to be uncomfortable. I know, right, but, but I, this is, would be their argument. So I, I just think that um, what the, maybe a, another way to go about it would just be to say there is so much demonstrable evidence that you don't care about children of color. You don't care about LGBTQ children and you That's don't great. care about children at all because you're totally cool with having them slaughtered by weapons of war in elementary schools. Well, so that's and then a not great let them even respond. Like they, why yeah. let them respond? Well, it's not about why let them respond. It's about being there with the follow-up that's going to work for people who are listening. These conversations are not happening um, only around the kitchen table and no one hears it. They're happening in our media. They're happening constantly. It's like every politician is using, on the on the right, is using a platform to start fires. This These semantics and these ideas, It we are up against a very highly coordinated propaganda effort uh, on behalf of that party so that they can keep and maintain power as a minority party. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just I, talking I about... We, if we want the Dems to not fall into the Dems in disarray thing, and we're talking really about message discipline, it's going to be more than just having their own sound bites that they go to. It's going to be about being able to, in the moment, counter that crap um, and walk away. It, and they're not okay. good at that. They're not good at that. Well, I, I think that the Dems in disarray thing is a media invention. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of I know it's it's sort of become a joke, but 
uh, somebody like Mitch McConnell does something horrible. The Republicans do something really horrible. And the response is, how is this bad for Biden? Um, so, you know, it's it, it, I think it's sort of a, a losing battle. And, and that I, that's sort of why I suggest, Ruth, that we just need to keep our own counsel in some ways and fight back forcefully and use language that's very strong and 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 not and not in a reactive way. Um, yeah, yeah, like an in, in, uh, in, an alternate vision. <clears throat> in fact, I'm looking around the world and seeing what's happening uh, in elections, um, and I I'm trying to uh, study those and get lessons from it and to help us here. So one I'm I followed with great interest recently in Hungary. Uh, so you got Viktor Orban. Mm -hmm. The GOP loves him, right? He's their mm -hmm. master. And he had to uh, he had to, he had to have go up for re-election, and for the first time, the opposition, uh, six parties banded together, and people were very hopeful about this. Now, what they did that wasn't good, and there's a lesson for us here is I think that um, they had progressives, but they shifted this coalition to the right. And they included this Jobbik party, which used to be allies with Orban. It's it's pretty much a far right. It's it's a right wing party, and they thought perhaps that shifting to the right and minimizing their progressive would capture some of the votes from people who didn't like Orban. And they chose as their uh, candidate to go one on one against Orban a conservative Christian, a small town mayor. Um, and this backfired enormously. And what happened, they, it was like they, we, they became a pale imitation of Orban. And so not only did all of the Yobik voters refuse to vote for the coalition that included progressives, they voted for Orban and they voted for this even further right party, which is basically a fascist party. So it, it, it backfired horribly and the lesson for us is although it could be tempting to become more centrist and try and get people and speak to them, and I do believe we have to speak to people who are brainwashed and, and in cults and stuff, mm -hmm. but we have to have an alternate progressive vision yep. that, that is strong about uh, democracy. Like we are an experiment in multiracial democracy. This is really important. Right. And it goes to some of the comments where it's like, yes, I want my child to, to, to be in class and learn this. Mm -hmm. And so that so there's various lessons coming to us from around the world that you you have to have this strong, morally righteous. And I'm saying that, in a, you know, vision mm -hmm. uh, and you can't be a pale imitation or even a wishy washy because that's acting out of fear. No coddling Rather than principle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Mara, I that is such a good point. Democrats have been doing this forever. There is so much to be proud about uh, on the progressive exactly. side of things. There is so much that we want to do to help the American people, and yet, you know, there's this uh, continuing hunt for unicorns. You know that the. the the mythical centrist independent white guy in a diner uh, who even if such a person <laughs> existed, wouldn't vote for Democrats anyway, first of all. And, you know, all we do by trying to pretend to be, because we're not, 
uh, Republican light. I mean, some some people are, but we just move the Overton window. So center becomes increasingly closer to the right extreme end of things. So um, how do you, what do, what do you think, this is so complicated because in some ways, you know, as we said at the beginning, we're, we're combating the failures to contextualize certain issues. I mean, we didn't say this explicitly. We're talking about the hearings, but things like inflation and high gas prices get pinned on the democratic president who has absolutely no control or practically no control over the end of these things. But yet that's not explained. Right. And on the other hand, we have these very compelling not messages, but uh, proposals and policies that would make people's lives so much better. And also, um, in terms of context, and I, I say this a lot, so forgive me, people who are listening, if I keep repeating myself, but the other problem we have is that so many people pretend that the Biden administration is a normal administration that followed another normal administration and thereby needs to be judged through a very familiar and, you know, normal frame. So I'm sorry, I'm just kind of spewing, but it's so complicated and I'm trying to get it. Like, how do we cut through all of that and just be clear? I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. That's why it requires a lot of explanation. Um, I, I do think there's a really important need to build coalitions. And so you do need to talk to everybody. Now that doesn't mean that you abandoned having, that you abandoned having a central pro-democracy thrust and and that you abandon the embrace of the values that your party stands on. Yeah. I'm just holding a grudge about all I'm with you on that. Um, So yes, you build coalitions, you talk to everybody. um, But, you know, I also happen to believe that because this is just my own personal political science theory, but because so many seats in the house have become so safe, um, in both parties over the past yeah. uh, 20 years, you have a situation, at least on the Democratic side, where they don't have the kind of youth or talent, um, you know, they don't have the deep bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not to impugn uh, those who work very hard. And there's some there's some real talent there. But I think that is part of the issue that needs to be part of the conversation. It's a fact. It's um, it just is a fact. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Um, but I, I also just, it's funny because it's not funny. It's deeply disturbing, but um, in a I, funny way, <laughs> I was at a party last week and I was hearing, um, you know, a man, of course, uh, explaining to me, uh, who was not in politics, explaining to me in this didactic way, why if the Democrats just focused on, uh, you know, bread and butter issues and stopped talking about identity politics, quote unquote, uh, they could win elections again. And I, I really think that part of the problem is this investment in denial about totally. the, what the appeal of the Republican Party truly has become. Such a good yeah. point. That's I the think word. We're totally still tethered to that in this way as Americans. Um, and people in institutions are tethered to it. And it's a real problem. That doesn't mean that everybody who's voting Republican is a white supremacist. But they either are or they're okay with it, whether they know it or not. And so I think that really does come back to we still need to know how to talk about white supremacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yeah. I I I want to stay there for one uh, just a second because it I was actually just having this conversation with a friend of mine today 
Um, I don't, I don't know that you can say anymore. Uh, if you vote Republican, it doesn't mean you're a white supremacist. It just means you're okay with it. I, I mean, what's the difference anymore? You know, I like that's sort of how I feel about it. You're complicit, but the difference, yeah. the difference yeah. is the difference though, I believe is there are some people to whom you can make a different appeal. Okay. And it can be a kid saying to a parent, you may not care. You may say X, Y, Z, but if you do this, I'm not going to speak to you again. Right. And those are real conversations and every yeah. single vote matters. Right. Yeah. That's actually, that, that is a much better way than mine <laughs> to think about it. Um, because again, grudge holding, I got to stop it, but it's, it's been a really long few, five years, but um <laughs> Let's just well, move on for a second. If, if um, anyone has an excuse to have a grudge, it's a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be honest. It's 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 that twelve million more people who voted for Donald in twenty twenty yeah. that just kind. I can't. My heart is still broken. But what are you going to well, do? Propaganda well, works. Well, yeah, it and, works. and powerful. But also to to Mara's point, running away from what makes Democrats a party worth supporting. Yeah, um, is is giving in. We always give in, not just to their narrative, but their um, willingness to throw certain segments of the population under the bus. I mean, I just saw, I don't know if it was the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, but the majority of Americans don't think that even elementary school trans girls should be able to play in girls' sports. Yeah. And, you know, <sighs> that is just cruel yeah. And I like that's that's it's an instance because listen, we know that as soon as what I call Samuel Lito's medieval torture device of an opinion overturning Rowan Casey gets handed down, the next thing they're going after is LGBT community rights, marriage equality, etc. So this is a perfect time for Democrats to stand up and say, stop the insanity, stop this cruelty. They're children. Yeah. So Stephanie, yeah. you want to just uh, you're going to love my bumper stickers. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> okay, we're, we're not there to, yet. We're not there yet, but you're <laughs> you're gonna. I get because it, it is about. Um, okay, so I, I love what Mara was just saying, and it it's it is going to be about and Ruth. It is going to be about grabbing onto a frame that is going to work uh, because the problem that we're facing for the midterms and beyond is that, as you said, to bring it all the way back to what you were saying earlier, Mary, is that the words that are the best words to describe what we're up against to shake people into a moment of urgency have what I call have been used in a preemptive offensive bullshit strike against the Democrats. Yeah. So, so they become meaningless, right? If everybody's fascist, nobody's fascist. If everyone's authoritarian, no one's authoritarian. It just, it's, it's just been this dissipation. And, and, a, and a problem with that is the frame is because the politics are being framed in terms of politics. I, I think we got to frame that political party in terms of corruption. I, I, I'm a yeah. big believer in this. I've been saying this yeah. from day one. I said this about your, about your horrible, I'm sorry, you have that horrible family, but it's, you know, <laughs> this is about, what are you going to do? This is about corruption. This is a, a, you know, we could everywhere to where we can start using terms out of organized crime and fighting organized yeah. crime on the side of justice. Just really quickly, that, I want to say that's that why works. that's why what Zoe Lofgren did yesterday was yeah, a great ripoff. 
it there made we me go. So it's a bust out, everybody. That they're it's going after out. every aspect of the criminality, that's right. right? That's so, right. So, Stephanie, that's such a great point. And Ruth, that leads that's me to policy in this in this context. I mean, again, this is not about this is not a policy discussion. This is about uh, the elections and 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 strategies and how to counter. Uh, Republican messaging and all that kind of stuff. And I sort of make it a policy, unless it's really egregious, like with some of the immigration issues. I I, I hold my fire when it comes to the Biden administration policy missteps because I just remind myself, how much worse would it be if Donald were still in the Oval Office? And how much worse would it be if Biden, if the Dems lose in November 2022? Because, of course, they will then lose in 2024. But... We have the situation in which Republicans blame Biden for the baby food shortage and then vote against funding to buy more baby food. They blame Biden for high gas prices and then they vote against anti-price uh, gouging rules that would uh, not allow uh, huge corporations to stop making money off American citizens' uh uh, misery that's being caused by a war started by Vladimir Putin in, in Ukraine. And yet when some people are, first of all, the media, the, this, this angers me are already asking if Biden should run, but to make it worse, they're asking Democrats if they will um, endorse him. And some of them won't even answer that question. Mm. So that seems to me like a shooting your party in the foot situation. And I, I don't know. I, I It just makes, it worries me in terms of our ability to be unified throughout these horrors and really pull together before November. Yeah, I worry about that too, because although, you know, we don't, we don't want to have an authoritarian party culture, we don't, it's not right to have the unified messaging or, you know, the loyalty. We don't want to do any of that. That's not democracy. Right. But um, right now we're in an emergency. Mm -hmm. And I would like people to understand, including, uh, you know, some, I mean, I know politicians understand we're in emergency, but some of the, I think there's, I think part of it is this uh, exhaustion. I think there's a kind of, um, mm. It's too easy to get into fatalism, even mm -hmm. if you're a Democratic politician, because you're getting threats all the time, you're tired. Yeah. And I think that that is chipping away at the, uh, at, and there's also, I think, been frustration with, um, you know, there, there's a split in the party. There's been frustration with uh, some of the leadership that's older, that isn't progressive enough, isn't hard hitting enough. But um, one of the, main main principles we know from the history of authoritarianism is you got to have unity uh if you don't have unity and strong principles and uh back the person and put aside your differences then you don't have any chance at all especially right. in the face of this very sophisticated right-wing uh assault machine that, mm -hmm. that we are facing. It's really formidable what we're facing. It's, it's, it's unbelievable at all levels, what they've done. It, it, it's extraordinary. And uh, I think one of the things that puts us at a disadvantage is that the things that demoralize us and enervate us and make us despair, give them energy yeah. <laughs> yeah. because they like to see us enervated and despairing. Yeah. Um, so it, it is, it is tough to, forge ahead um, when 
I think one of one of the lessons uh, that I, I would have hoped that Democrats would learn that that a lot of some Democrat the Democratic voters just want their leaders to fight for them. Yeah. You know, um, I spoke with uh, Mallory McMorrow after her speech on the floor of the Michigan State Senate went viral, and she told me that one of the reasons, as she was running and going door to door and talking to people, there were people who voted for Donald who said that they were going to vote for her, believe it, for the same reason, because they thought that she was, a, you know, she said it like it was, and she would fight for them. Obviously, when that comes to Donald, that's a completely delusional, but they thought that he was doing that, and they thought that she would do that as well. So it wasn't even mm -hmm. about politics. It was about having somebody mm -hmm. in your corner. Mm -hmm. um, so Mara, I think, I think we do miss, I, we miss that opportunity sometime, uh, sometimes. And um, then it becomes necessary to re-engage people, right? I mean, that's right. Somebody who uh, some pe people love to hate on, uh, but is Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, Mm -hmm. um, represents a very specific slice of the Democratic electorate, but she understands exactly how to communicate with and, and to them, how to fight for them. And I think that can be a good example, not from an ideological perspective, but from a strategic perspective mm -hmm. of what's required. Um, and, and I also just think this is a moment in which Americans are exhausted, but also very angry and demoralized. And I think the Democratic Party really is not, I think the committee actually has done an excellent job of giving voice to that. But mm -hmm. this is really the first that we have seen from some of these politicians that they are as demoralized, upset, angry, yeah. um, concerned as some of the rest of us are. And I think that disconnect between uh, the lived reality of so many Americans right now, whether it's about baby food, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's about democracy is part of the democratic problem. I mean, you know, yeah. it's true that that party unity is really important um, for the Democrats, but it's also true that, um, you know, constructive criticism is essential because, you know, I was, I had a source who said, for example, that, um, and I, I, this may have been reported um, elsewhere, but um, in fact, I'm sure it was, but it's like, we have to ask the question, how long was it before the president knew that the baby food shortage was as bad or the formula shortage was as bad as it was? And so we have to, you know, really uh, give constructive criticism that makes people better at their jobs um, and better mm -hmm. defending democracy in this mm -hmm. moment as well. So that's not the same as horse race politics coverage, which is a different right. animal, right. but I just want to separate those two for a moment. Um, yeah. So, but I just, I just think, you know, there is a moment to your point, Mary, for some righteous anger and that can be peaceful protests. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. you can rise above and you can do things the right way and, and use democracy, the tools of democracy, but uh, people are angry. People should be angry. We just lost over a million people to a preventable pandemic. That is, it is, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I feel like that is just criminal negligence. That alone. I think it's mass murder, but you know. You know. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, where's where's that fire? People are, yeah. are angry. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I I think from um, the Muslim ban 
uh, on down and then we had COVID and then we have George Floyd and then we have the big lie and then we have the insurrection and then we have the million COVID deaths. Uh, you know, we're still, we're literally just emerging from COVID. And I, I am like, I I've thought sometimes like what, what would those protests have been like that in the summer of 2020, if COVID hadn't been a thing and it hadn't been so dangerous. And I'm hoping that, once you know i mean it's pretty much like nobody here really wears masks anymore it's and i i know it's not over but most people do and hopefully most people do think it's over um so i'm i'm hoping that especially as we get closer to the election and maybe covid is more in our rear view mirror um or we've met ma we manage it better that some of that anger will be channeled in those kind of constructive ways because we need to show up so big that i i mean it we need to make 2020 2018 and 2020 seem seem like you know a picnic in somebody's backyard right and so um we are almost at a time so stephanie yeah. we get to uh get to you and your bumper sticker Not just bumper for those stickers. listening we we know uh, i mean I personally, I, I love the Democratic Party, uh, but they need a little help sometimes getting their message across. Yeah. Uh, and instead of um, bringing a 30 page white paper to a gunfight, let's let's bring a bumper sticker that really cuts right to the chase. So, Stephanie, what's your bumper? They sticker might be about? too radical. I'm not sure. There's no um, such thing. But I'm into just calling things what they are. So proud boys are domestic terrorists. That needs to be on a bumper sticker. Oath <laughs> keepers, proud boys, yeah. three percenters. The yeah. Patriot Front are neo-Nazis. This, yeah. this stuff isn't up for debate. Just stick it on your car and you're going to be fine. No one's going to come and get you. Yep. Just just make it clear. Um, Absolutely. A, a friend of mine gave me a T-shirt that needs to be a bumper sticker. Pro-life as fuck. Right. Just embrace <laughs> it. Embrace your, embrace your beliefs. Or go AF for those of you who don't or or AF. go there. Um Get the state off my body. Get oh, out. you have like a plethora of bumper stickers. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And the great replacement theory is fascist horseshit. Like, <laughs> this would be my bumper sticker. It is liter it's literally fascist. It's literally fascist. As well as other, yeah. other vectors. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, Ruth, what is your bumper sticker tonight? Well, um I mean, after after Stephanie's, this might sound very like namby pamby, but <laughs> <laughs> never give up hope. Oh, I'm a huge believer in hope, and I think that is one of the thing. That's one of the only things that's going to get us through this. We give up hope, and it's game over. Well, because because so, yeah. they want you to be hopeless. The yes, whole thing. That's when right. Trump said, "When Trump this and this, I will never get over." When the pandemic, uh, he was told on camera that it reached 100,000 deaths, and he said, it is what it is. And that <laughs> is telling um, people to just submit to whatever is happening and have no hope because uh, it is what it yeah. is. I have, a, I have a quick quick anecdote about that. That That is a phrase that was uh, used a lot in my family. I bet. Um, however, you know, when, when normal people say it is what it is, they just – they I think they mean – Listen, it's it's just circumstances. It's the universe doing its thing, and there's nothing really that I can quite do. I just have to roll with it and get through it. Um, in my family, what that phrase means is, it's not my fucking problem. You're dying from that's, COVID. Too bad. That's it. 
That's yeah. how I interpreted it. Yes, and that that does make people feel like, then why bother? Uh, because always nobody cares. And no, I hate it. And it, <laughs> it sends chills. Actually, Donald said that to me yeah. on the day we were planning my father's funeral. So, oh, you know, it resonates. it resonates. I can give you a, a folder this thick of organized crime bosses that use that phrase. Yeah. Like for the exactly. last yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not, also he, an excuse for violence. It's he's an not, excuse he's for not murder. original. A, he's not original. We know. No, that. No. Um, okay. Mara, what is Wow. I mean, it's, uh, not to, uh, to just to kind of ruin the, the party and, and be super earnest about this, but, but <laughs> I think we're being earnest, but you know, <laughs> we're, no, we're just a little salty. <laughs> we're trying not yeah. to give up hope. No, no, I am. Um, I don't have a bumper sticker for Democrats. I just, I actually have this literally on a shirt I had it made. And mm-hmm. it just says save our democracy. Um, Listen, I'm, mm-hmm. That's it. You know, that's, that's it. it. But, but I I also just, I want to say just. No, yeah. that's it in a good way. That's like the core yeah. of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and a, and a high point, I mean, you know, as a black American, it's like people think about, oh, it's so easy to get cynical, incremental change, yada, yada. Well, sure. Yeah. We haven't gotten quite to the promised land yet. But I always tell people, I mean, my dad literally drank out of a segregated water fountain and I sit on the editorial board of the New York Times. So if you, you know, cynicism essentially absolves people of the need to do anything. And it it suggests that those differences don't matter or that my life or his life doesn't matter. And those differences aren't meaningful. So I think we should be really much more thoughtful. I mean, we're all exhausted. That's one thing. But the cynicism yes. is too, too many people in this business, I think, mistake cynicism for sophistication. Yes. It's, it's just not so. I, I think you're right. And I, I think what I would add, I don't know if this is a bumper stick or not, but uh, I think cynicism and complacency are the enemies of democracy. Well said. It's a very long bumper sticker, but I'll change the font <laughs> and we'll be good. Um, but you're right. And the... the I know I, I always frame this in terms of the Democrats and because I do believe that the Democratic Party is the only pro-democracy party in this country. But this is aimed at voters, any voters who believe in democracy. So if you're an independent, if you're unaffiliated, if you're a Republican who is not willing to go down that road towards autocracy and fascism, then this is for you too. Um, because we don't have... This is we we don't have the luxury of partisanship right now. We we need to be pro democracy. I will vote for anybody who's pro democracy, which is why I was so relieved when the Democrats decided not to run somebody in Utah and are backing Evan McMullen. Those are the kind of plays we need to be making, right? Um, all right, this is so fabulous. I I so appreciate you. Um, you know, you all come at this from from different angles and I learned so much from your work um, and your you know your willingness to engage even though we're exhausted and it's really hard uh, and there is so much at stake uh, just keep keeps me hope, hopeful honestly so uh, Stephanie Koff, Margay, Ruth Ben-Ghiat I I'm so grateful you were able to be here. I hope you will come back and uh, thank you for everything you do. And please stay safe. You too, Mary. Thanks for having us. You too. Bye. Okay. As my, my fabulous guest just uh, demonstrated messaging is so important. And uh, I am 
really lucky that a lot of our listeners have been sending in their own ideas for bumper stickers. Uh, so we have one um, from Bruce, and he said, I really like this suggestion. Just have a bumper sticker that says, is a fascist, and then slap it on any um, other bumper sticker that starts with the name of a Republican politician, and obviously Donald Trump would be one of them. So yeah, Trump is a fascist as long as we uh, understand that we mean Donald by that. Um, okay, from Barbara, real patriots vote for democracy. That's, that is exactly how we just ended that conversation. It's so important to remember. Um, I, you know, we are, we are here for democracy. We're not here for one party or the other. Although again, Democrats are the only party of democracy. Uh, from Lee, no to grift over people with the G and the O and the P in bold. Absolutely. Um, from Michael in Austin, Texas, do you want Republican lines or democracy? Vote. Absolutely. From John, generations before us volunteered their lives. We just have to volunteer our time. Vote. From Mary, not me, uh, Democrat and Patriot. And that's, you know, that's really important. And we've talked about this a lot before here. We need to take back symbols. We need to take back words, whether it's the flag or the word patriot, patriotism. Um, so, you know, let's let's keep that up uh, and kind of get used to it again and embrace it. Um, one more from Stephanie. GOP, guns over people. And yes, that is exactly what the GOP believes. All right. All of you, thank you so much for tuning in for this week's episode of the Mary Trump Show Strategy Sessions. And thank you to my wonderful guests, Stephanie Koff, Ruth Benyat, Margay. Um, it was such a great conversation and it really made me think and rethink uh, some of my preconceptions. So be sure, you know, we do this every Tuesday night with a, a, a different panel of incredible smart people every week. So tune in next Tuesday at youtube.com slash Politicon at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific. And don't forget, we have our usual uh, Thursday show uh, coming up in two nights, uh, also at youtube.com slash Politicon um, at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And... When you're on the youtube.com slash Politicon channel, please uh, follow Politicon, like the episode, and um, click on the bell, uh, because if you do that, then you will be sure to be notified every time a new episode drops. And, you know, we've been we've been putting out some shorter videos uh, in between, so um, I don't want you to miss those either. And of course, you can always listen to the show in podcast form on Apple or anywhere else that you get your podcast uh, periodic reminder, not Spotify. And give the show a five-star review, please, because it really does help other people find the show. Um, all right, that's it for tonight. Thank you again so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, that so many of you keep coming back and that new new listeners are coming in all the time. So thank you. And in the meantime, please stay safe and be kind. <laughs>